Well, it's all about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness as we go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalera. I'm back with you again in the driver's chair for another great episode of this awesome internationally recognized podcast. And with me always is my good friend, the co-host of this show, the heart, the soul. Oh, I can't even do it anymore. Kelly Grayson, KG, what's going on? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm I'm always wondering what you know internationally recognized is. You know, we'll be in another country and they say, Oi, aren't you inside EMS? Have you ever <laughs> been have you ever have you ever been at the conferences or anything and people say, Hey, you're Kelly Grace and you're from inside EMS? Actually, yeah. Yes, I actually have. The people I have people come up to me at conferences and say, I listen to listen to you and Sebalera on the podcast all the time. And it's always a uh uh, it's always a, a a thrill to hear that. Yeah, the guy stopped me on the street and say, "Aren't you Chris Sublera?" I'm like, "I don't know your money, do I?" You know, so it's <laughs> kind of weird, man. But yeah, I mean, our people are out there. But you know, when we say internationally recognized, we they, we have several listeners, you know, hundreds of listeners in several countries. That uh, you know, I see the stats of where the show are posted. You know, because I upload the show for EMS One, and then EMS One goes through the processes of putting the show and making it, uh, you know, live. So I get to see some of the, uh, you know, countries that people are listening, and you know, it's about thirty countries that we are heard in, and uh, it's kind of exciting to know that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. What's here and there is we're going to do the news this week. We always talk about the news every now and again. And it mm-hmm. is time to bring up some of that news. And KG, I'm going to go ahead and go first. And uh, it is monkeypox season. And I didn't even know. And I still have all my COVID decorations up. But it is monkeypox right. season. Monkeypox is now found in all 50 states. Over 15,000 cases have been confirmed. And five pediatric cases have been reported, according for the Centers of Disease Control. I know that we are trying to recover from covid and we are trying to get back to normal from covid but we have to pay attention to monkeypox because these cases have been confirmed by the cdc and if these cases continue to rise it's only a matter of time before ems is now having to deal with transporting or deal with uh you know deal with this uh you know disease you know so the biden administration plans to extend the supplies of monkeypox vaccines but you know there's a challenge with the vaccine so now they're having to uh you know instead of give uh five doses out of a vial they're giving three doses out of a vial but one of the things that we need to think about from an ems side is do we have to plan kelly do we have to now to start think about what do we do if what do we do when what do we do how and uh, we're tired of COVID, but it looks like we may have to deal with another one if this keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's I remember when they started off, they said we had one case of monkeypox, and now we're talking about 15,000 over all 50 states. Is this something you think we should have to worry about? I mean, what, what, what's the future look like here for us? Um, I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I don't think it's going to be near the problem that COVID was, uh, simply because of its its. Uh, uh, transmission method, um, skin to skin and sexual contact, uh, uh, 
most of the cases in the in the news report have been uh, uh, sexual contact uh, with men having sex with other men. Um, but the most common method is skin to skin transmission. Now, there's no doubt that it'll probably require us to modify our daily routines in some way. And I've I've given up monkey snuggling for the foreseeable future, and uh, it's 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 affecting my mental health. But hey, you know we all have to make sacrifices in this pandemic. That's right. When you're a legion of flying monkeys, so there is some sadness there. That is true. Yeah. My and legion the, of flying monkeys. I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep them healthy to right. complete my quest for world domination. So let me uh, ask you this question, though. So if we know that this could be an issue in the months to come, I mean, one of the things that I think EMS doesn't do well is we plan more for reaction. Should we be anticipatory now in figuring out how we need to plan so when the uh, balloon goes up? We're not saying what the heck do we need to do, and I, I I think that this is a, you know, I think that this is kind of a warning for us to get ready. But you know, I fear that the COVID has given people the resistance to say, uh, "We'll wait to see what happens." Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think that people are so burnt out on COVID um, that uh, it, there's a significant um, risk of not taking monkeypox seriously. But once again. You know, it's not air transmission. It requires direct skin-to-skin contact or sexual uh, contact. And uh, thankfully, the decontamination methods and the barrier uh, and barriers that we typically employ in EMS should protect us very well for that. Uh, um, we'll have to still be vigilant about cleaning our ambulances and 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 that sort of thing. But I look at it as the same way as uh, in the same vein as as staff. You know, staff is everywhere. It's probably, it, it's no doubt far more prevalent than, than monkeypox. Uh, and, and it can be, it can be, uh, gained from surface contact. Uh, so, uh, the, the, the precautions we take in cleaning our ambulances and, and employing barrier devices like gloves and gowns, uh, that protect us against staff will also protect us against monkeypox. But once again, you know, I'll, I'll be glad when it's gone. We have it under control and I can go back to my monkey snuggling. You know, one of the things that I would think about is if you don't have monkeypox, does that make you asymptomatic? <laughs> <laughs> really? All right, Kelly, what's the next news story? Colorado has assembled a task force uh, to set uh, ground ambulance standards and establish a licensing system uh, for in that state. And what what strikes me is, I mean, this is a this is a good thing, obviously, uh, that the Department of Public Health and Environment uh, has established a 20 member EMS task force to evaluate medical services and systems throughout the state. But what what struck me is is they they need a state sensing system. They don't already have one. Uh, the the news article was not ex, uh, extremely clear on this, um, but uh, uh, I, I would have thought that they'd have already had something in place. And perhaps they're they're looking to revise this and and come up with a set of benchmarks, uh, uh, performance benchmarks and and standards. Uh, and if that is the case, and it's higher than what they have now. Uh, I applaud that. Um, the other thing is the uh, members of this task force are involved stakeholders, and that's that's the good thing. We we often see um, 
people who are not in EMS setting standards, performance standards and regulatory uh, things for EMS that have nothing to do with EMS. They just think they do. And this task force includes doctors, paramedics, and fire chiefs, which is, which is a good thing, very similar to uh, our Louisiana EMS certification commission, which has, uh, has EMS and, and, uh, EMT, paramedic, and doctor um, uh, staffing of the board. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'd like some of our, our uh, listeners in Colorado to chime in and tell us exactly what this this task force uh, will entail. Yeah, and I think that that's a really great – it'd be interesting to follow the story and to uh, see how things – I mean, one of the things that we have to think about is as we are moving forward into the future – we need to be able to set standards for others to follow, and we need to be able to pay attention to what's going on in the other states, because there may be some good programs, there may be some good options that come out of those states that other states may need to follow. And uh, so, you know, cheers to what's going on up there in Colorado. And as you mentioned, if anybody has uh, inside track that they can share with us, we'd love to have you on the show. We'd love to talk about it or maybe even the people who were involved in the uh, process, let's go ahead and uh, have you on. Let's talk about it. Because again, we have to be able to be anticipatory about the future of EMS and not reactionary. And and doing this at, at this time, uh, you know, it's not like they're, they're wanting for, uh, for performance benchmarks and, and data, the EMS compass project and, and uh, similar initiatives have, have provided us with plenty of data uh, for performance benchmarking and, and standards, minimum standards, uh, quality minimum standards for, for ambulance providers. So uh, hopefully they'll be using current data and, and current performance measures uh, when, they, when they make those recommendations. So my story is going to send a shout out to our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence. He is the host of the EMS One Stop. And now the EMS One Stop is branded with its own show. We were sharing the platform with Rob for a while as he was getting things set up and as he was moving his show forward. One of my favorite uh, podcasts on this channel is the EMS One Stop with Rob Lawrence. And this week, he speaks with Melissa Harris, owner of the AmbuServe Ambulance and Shoreline Ambulances out of Los Angeles. And, you know, they talk about leadership and they talk about the CAA Star Life recipients. But now you can find the EMS One Stop on its own channel. We used to share the channel and we're sorry to see him go, but we're excited for his opportunity. And uh, as always, we send a flip of the hat and a cheers to our mate, our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence. But become a fan of the EMS One Stop and you will not be disappointed. I always, I got to tell you, man, Rob is... Uh, you know, he's a great EMS leader. He's got great, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's got some great EMS philosophy and uh, he's got some great leadership philosophy. I don't know if you know, but him, uh, you know, Rob Lawrence and Don Lundy and Patrick Pianetz and I for mm-hmm. about five or six years were the hosts of the EMS leadership podcast that was over on EMS radio. Uh, that was the same station where you could hear the EMS garage and our good friend, uh, Greg Freese was on the um, Educast, and uh, so there was some good shows mm-hmm. over there on EMS Radio, but uh, a lot of people forget that Rob was, uh, you know, my co-host on that show for a long time. But anyway, um, I think I wrote read it just like he wrote it, so uh, become a fan of the EMS yeah. One Stop. Check him out on his own channel now, 
and we wish Rob the best of luck. We uh, still need to get on that show, Kelly. I was on it, and now I'm spoiled now um, because I got to be on the one stop. But uh, he's still he's still stiff arming you. I'm still, yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm still getting, getting held at arm's distance. It, it was probably that, that drunken night in Tijuana just left him with a, uh, with left him with some emotion. Uh, that's not, that's so enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Um, <laughs> one but of- it is nice to hear one of our EMS thought leaders, uh, um, interviewing other people, uh, and, and getting us out of our silos and, and, and interviewing other people to determine their best practices and what's works for them. Uh, uh, giving us uh, options uh, and other approaches to effective leadership in EMS. My story is comes out of uh, Pennsylvania. The state is funding an EMT class for underemployed uh, Pennsylvania residents. They had uh, over 70 applicants. Uh, the enrollment was capped at 25. But this, this is another one of those things that is um, hopefully going to grow our our uh, our. Uh, talent pool, our personnel pool in EMS and bring new people into the profession and help relieve uh, some of our staffing woes that that seems like every state is suffering from right now. This is something that you're seeing in many places. I believe New York had a similar thing where they were offering to pay for EMT class uh, for for a limited number of people. And now Pennsylvania and, and probably several other states are are joining that that movement. Um, uh, I, I can't see a downside to this uh, as long as these people are placed uh, and go to work at a quality place that treats them well. Um, Chris, I heard and uh, I saw in an article the other day where someone repeated the, the same thing I've been saying uh, for years between you and I on this podcast that we don't have a paramedic shortage. We have a shortage of paramedics who are willing to work in toxic environments. Um, and, and that is certainly still true. Uh, we're, we're vastly overworked and treated poorly and paid poorly. Uh, and people are, are starting an exodus from the profession because of that. Um, so hopefully this seed corn that, that Pennsylvania is developing here, uh, isn't spoiled and it's allowed to take root in a, a positive environment with a good agency, uh, and, uh, and help relieve some of the staffing woes there in Pennsylvania. And I agree. I mean, we've got to be able to be creative in how we're going to go about uh, bringing in the next generation of EMS provider. But with that as well, as I think we need to change what EMS is going to look like in the future. Yes. I mean, again, you know, this isn't, you know, we talk about community paramedicine all the time. And part of my charter in transitioning EMS to the community paramedicine model of care is to really think about that we're going to become community health agencies that sometimes has to do ambulance calls rather than we're going to send an ambulance to everything. And, you know, I would think in a, in a three year time frame, we're going to be responding with people in chase vehicles rather than people in ambulances. You know, if I could develop the, the, the system of the future, I would have two EMTs in a truck. I would have a paramedic in a, in a, like in the old days, right. A paramedic in a chase mm-hmm. vehicle. And, but we went ahead and changed the paradigm of that because we were trying to get business as private EMS providers. And we were going to yeah. put two paramedics in a truck and we were going to respond in eight minutes and 59 seconds. And, but I think that this has to be the foundation of how we're going to bring people in. Our EMTs in our field are not allowed to work to their potential. And I don't mean their potential of what their scope of practice is. It's the potential of what we can teach them to do. 
we can teach them to put in adjunct airways. We could teach them to give medication. We could teach that. I mean, these, these are people who are, who are very competent in doing these skills. And when we think about what paramedics do in the field, isn't it best that we sit back and we're wait and we wait for the calls that truly need our skill. Um, but yeah. anyway, I mean, that's neither here nor there with a big whiteboard, uh, we're going to develop the EMS systems of the future, but it starts with programs like this that are in Pennsylvania. So hats off and cheers to our friends out there in Pennsylvania for setting the standards for others to follow. But, you know, Kelly, um, I want to go ahead and touch on a story that had everybody up in arms. Oh, my God. Everybody was going crazy and losing their minds. And this was circling around in our this was circling around the National Registry, uh, changing the standards mm -hmm. of what it took yeah. to become a paramedic. And they had a very, very lively um, comment period. And everybody was really worried about it. But everybody came out. Everybody was, I don't know that I saw one comment from an organization, from an association, from an individual that said this was a good idea. And uh, listening to all those comments, the National Registry came out and said, all right, we heard you. We are not changing the standards. And uh, we had to allow that process to work. But, you know, another thing the National Registry uh, said and changed was they are permanently uh, putting yeah. uh, education standards on um, making them front and center, right? It used to be mm -hmm. that you could only get X amount of online and then when COVID came, they went ahead and uh, waived that for everybody because we couldn't go face to face. But now they're going to make that permanent. And I, that is a change I can get behind, Kelly. Yeah, uh, I agree. They, this is actually two different resolutions, but, um, but both of them I applaud. Uh, as far as the the uh, certification standards for paramedic programs and and uh, backing away from allowing uh, states to uh, accredit paramedic education programs in in lieu of co-amps, um, I applaud that. Uh, I think that was a big mistake and a big step back, potentially a big step backward for EMS education uh, around the country. And and apparently so did just about every other stakeholder who weighed in on the um, I think it was a bit of a miscalculation on National Registry's part. My, I, my sense of it, and I, and I don't know this, but I've, I've talked to several people in the know, uh, say that it was kind of a, 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 a trial balloon to appease some, some places who were dissatisfied with the uh, National Registry process and, and threatening to ship. Uh, but then they, they put this out there for public comment. And not only was the the rejection near universal, uh, they also got that same uh, that same oh heck no from from some of the states that that were uh, that they thought were were at risk. So um, I think the process worked like it should, and I applaud National Registry for opening this opening this up for public comment uh, and um, and allowing us to weigh in on it before enacting this resolution. And, uh, and it worked exactly like it should. We made our voice heard and they said, okay, yeah, we, we understand. And we're going to go back to, to the status quo at the same time, uh, working on making our education standards, uh, uh, putting them in the forefront and, and hopefully co-amps will, will try to streamline their accreditation process and make it a little more user-friendly. Now this, permanent waiver on uh, live education requirements for CE is huge. And, and this, 
you know, some years back, I wrote a uh, a pretty scathing article uh, laying the the cases of uh, education fraud, CE fraud uh, that were in the news at the feet of the National Registry for um, for their continuing education and requirements being so hidebound and behind the times. And uh, shortly thereafter, they changed things uh, and, and made it much more user-friendly. The, the National Continued Competency Program is, is far better than the previous refresher model. Uh, and they're still working to improve that and, and to bring it even further forward into the, into the 21st uh, century. Uh, I think now that, that we have adequate, uh, not just adequate, we have some stellar online self-paced education out there. Uh, there are plenty of places to go where you can get quality, high production value, uh, continuing education online with, with current up-to-date information that's, that's supported by science, evidence-based medicine. Uh, and I applaud the National Registry for, for taking the steps to allow that to continue, um, which just shows that we're, we're growing and evolving as a profession. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. You have a topic for for us to discuss on the EMS One podcast. Anything that's burning in your mind, uh, you think uh, needs addressing in public, we'd love to hear your thoughts at the show at emsone.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And from myself and co-host Chris Ciballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.